Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're driving, speed bumps force you to slow down. Some are big, some are small. Regardless of the size, they can really mess up your car if you go over them too fast. In this go, go, go world, society tends to have a negative view of speed bumps. But in my opinion, they don't have to be a bad thing. We all go through speed bumps in life, such as getting married, a spiritual awakening, having children, changing jobs, a trauma, and more. In this podcast, you will hear the various speed bumps that people have encountered and how those experiences have shaped them into the person they are now. Because every story has speed bumps, and that is what makes life interesting. everyone. I wanted to welcome you to another episode of Speed Bumps. And today with me, I have Lanny from Greener Postures. She and her husband uh, have their own podcast and they actually have their own homestead. And I'm excited to hear about why they started each of those things. And thank you, Lanny, for joining me tonight. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Yeah. And you guys have a podcast and I can see the logo right now, but why can't I, I can't think of the name and I apologize. That's no problem. The world as it is today is the name of uh, the podcasting. People might know my husband, Chud X from the Deborah Gets Red Pilled podcast as well. Yes. Yes. But I, I know for a while, like with the Deborah Gets Red Pilled, his mother-in-law like wasn't on it. Is she back on? Oh, yes. Yeah. She's been back on. It was only actually a few episodes where she stepped away and they were kind of doing a side thing called uh, Into the Apocalypse on the same feed as Deborah Gets Red Pilled. Okay. But uh, she's back and Chud's there just kind of as support to help Adam from getting frustrated with her when they're going through some of the dark stuff that they <gasps> that they um, bring her down into in this weird world of conspiracies. It's a, it's a great concept for a podcast. Really fun. Awesome to be a part of it. And what do you guys talk uh, about on your podcast? So the world as it is today, we talk about um, homesteading, um, conspiracy, family values, all through our like anarcho family mindset, like homesteaders, conspiracy theorists. So just about whatever kind of comes up, um, sometimes just updating about the homestead stuff. Sometimes like just how do you raise kids in the world as it is today? How do you, you know, like just, just kind of dissecting that um, and thinking about how things used to be and maybe why, why trends have been as they are yeah. and kind of entertaining the idea if there's someone, you know, some planning behind that to try to put us in this position that we're in today. Yeah. Those are all super interesting things to think about and talk about because you know, you see some of these things on the news or whatever, and you just wonder, like, why and how and is it even real? <laughs> I know, right? 
Yeah. So um, our we we call any projects we're doing that are geared toward like the freedom community uh, greener postures is what that's under. So that's where you can find me on Twitter or Instagram is greener postures. Our website is greenerpostures.com and that's got all the projects we're doing, including the podcasts. And I also host um, workshops for food preservation and fermentation and um, yeah, ancestral cooking. So Yes. And you have one coming up in the middle, middle of October, right? Like the 16th? That's right. yes. Yeah, that's Sunday, October 16th at 2 p.m. Pacific time. And that'll be um, nourishing bone broth. So I'm going to do a deep dive into bone broth and the good parts of it and how to make it part of your normal kitchen routine so it's not some big scary project you have to do or lots of cleanup or extra work. I love that. And I'm going to ask a question about bone broth and then I'm going to ask my typical question that I completely skipped over, but that sure. happens. So I've heard that some people that they say you shouldn't can bone broth because it loses the nutrients. True or false? Well, um, anytime you're canning something, there will be some nutrient loss because part of canning is um, using a very high heat to cook that food inside the jar and then seal it there. It's It needs to be a high heat to be able to get any spores of botulism or mold um, eradicated before it's sealed. So when you cook uh, broth at a really high heat, you do lose some, I guess, the the strands or whatever of the collagen break down. So when I make bone broth and I put it in the fridge, it gets to be like gelatin. It's uh, like jello. Yep. And if you, if you can it, I'm told that then refrigerated, it won't gel the same. So a lot of the same good stuff is still there. And I guess I haven't canned it before because I have the refrigerator and freezer space to um, still make mine in batches and freeze it. But I do want to experiment with canning it as well to have some shelf stable. And if you compare it to what I make and put in the freezer, maybe it'll have less nutrients. But if you compare it to what you can get in the store, yeah. it's going to be better for you than that. So if, if canning your broth is a good option, then you're at least you're getting it. It's actually broth and there's no MSG or sneaky MSG under a different name or sugar or any of the other weird yeast extracts and stuff that they put in the conventional broth that you get in a carton or a can at the store. Yeah, that's... That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Uh, so I forgot to ask you because we got started on a roll. Tell me two things that you love about yourself or two of your favorite things about yourself, please. Mm. So you usually lead with that because when I heard you before, you ended with it. And I feel like I really need to warm up. That's a, tri that's a tricky thing to ask people. It is. Do you, do you find like that you learn a lot about how people react to having to answer that? It's just, so... I try and start with it when I remember, because I know that some of the people that come on the show, some of their speed bumps can be dark or heavy. And so I like to start off on a high note in case we do get down like this little bit of a bumpy road. You know, we start off mm -hmm. on a good note. Um, sometimes so I, I forget, to be honest with you. Uh, okay. I think there's one episode that I actually totally forgot. Um, uh -huh. And since sometimes it happens at the end, like... Like I said, okay, it's I kind that... of scripted, but it's not. Okay. Okay. I love, I love it. Okay. So that is really tricky for me because I um, come from a place of like mm, protecting myself through sarcasm and humor. So okay. it's my, my knee jerk reaction is to make a joke about myself right now. So I'm like <laughs> fighting it super hard, but I think I would say, sure. My sense of humor. I love, I love that. I can joke about stuff even yeah. through tough times. And it's really, um, I think can get me through a lot and help 
break down barriers and walls with other people. That's true. Um, and then I also think that I'm, um, I'm a really good communicator. I think I, I do really good in conflict resolution and helping people through things and in the jobs that I've had in my life. I'm just, I'm good at helping people and kind of meeting their meeting them where they are so that I can help people from where they are. Yeah. That's really important. I feel like a lot of times, um, when people, people want to help, but to your point, they can't really meet the person where they're at. And mm -hmm. so there's that disconnect. And I feel like sometimes that's why some people don't seek out help or get help is because they're not being communicated in the way that they need to, if that right. makes sense. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The other reason I asked the question too, is I feel like people can, including myself, can often be really critical of ourselves. But if you ask me like what I love about my husband or something like that, I could give, you know, 20 oh, things. Yeah. Totally but like our standard. Yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. And so I just, you know, and then hopefully by asking that question, it makes people think a little bit like afterwards, like, oh, I do like this about myself. And like, yeah. it makes them smile later. Like, that's great. It is. Yeah, for sure. I like it a lot. Yeah. So I know that you and your husband have a homestead and you do all of these amazing things on Instagram and you do these workshops, which I wish like my schedule, I wanted to do like every single one. And there's been even a couple that like I've signed up for and then I've been like, my schedule's crazy and I'm sorry. Yeah, I can't no make problem. it. I know it's a bummer. Yeah. I've, I've, you've almost been there a couple of times. I have, I have. And it's not for a uh, lack of wanting to, um, but what got you into this? Like, I know I do some things, but you know, I, I wish I had a home, like, I wish we owned and we had land in a bigger garden. Um, but I'm, I'm slowly learning. So what started you on this journey? So I, I grew up in, well, I'm, I'm near a big town a college town, but my, my dad liked hunting and fishing. And so I okay. grew up with a little bit, my one foot in each, right? But we definitely lived in the city. The I-5 freeway was in my backyard here in the Pacific Northwest. And my, the front yard was a busy road. Um, but when I met my husband, um, he had, Chud had grown up um, next door to his grandpa's farm, which was a retired farm, but still, still a farm, still a big barn and cows and lots of free range kid activity. And so when we got together and we, when we got pregnant, we were living in the county. So out, outside of the city in a small, like mobile home. And I decided I wanted a little garden. Uh, and so we did a little four foot by four foot garden and he'd had experience planting things and growing things before, but really what kickstarted everything was when our first son who was born in 2013 I was 18 months old. He had a anaphylactic response to peanuts. And so he got very, very sick after his first exposure to peanuts. It wasn't actually his first exposure, but it was his first like big chunk of it. Yep. So we were kind of thrown into this medical uh, industry and more so than we had been. And the doctors weren't really giving us any reason why. They were only telling us to carry an EpiPen and to avoid the top eight allergens. Um, when he tested out through a blood test, he was allergic to all tree nuts, all peanut, the peanuts, tree nuts, cats, dogs, uh, mold, uh, grass, and eggs and dairy. And so we went from 
not understanding like he had skin issues like eczema and things mm -hmm. like that as well and rashes and kind of realizing that all these things that I, we were told were like oh it's just normal it's normal for them to have skin stuff when they're growing and he'll, he'll grow out of it was all related to food allergies and so we were all like dropped off in this land where now we could not like buy any product unless it said you know tree nut free um not made in the same factory and we couldn't just like go to the deli and get food or go to a restaurant and eat out and so it kind of forced us to one get get back in the kitchen and get our priorities straight there but also also sent me down this huge rabbit hole of like what is in our food and what are these names of things that we can't pronounce and why yeah. are they in there and when did they start being in there and all of that and then also like more digging into like overuse of antibiotics and other kinds of cleaners and that led me to the microbiome um in the human body and how important that how important that is to your health and um your immune system and there was some studies that were being done in australia at that time where they were um basically able to get kids desensitized to the peanuts by them wearing a peanut patch which was like a nicotine patch that had a really small amount of peanut protein on it yeah and um, they could increase that slowly over time. And while the kids couldn't then freely have a peanut butter sandwich, they could um, be exposed to peanuts without having an anaphylactic response. Okay. And the kids in the study, half of them or some of them were also given probiotics. And those kids were way more receptive to this program than the others. And so that led me to um, what are probiotics and that led me to the health food store. And that led me to go, holy crap, I cannot afford $50 a bottle for, yeah. for these things. And then how do I get my kid to take them? So that led me to fermentation. And I started making sauerkraut in my home. And while my kid didn't like it, I could still sneak some of the sauerkraut juice into other foods. And then that led to, you know, then this healthier diet and then understanding like the paleo diet and ancestral diets and the Weston A. Price Foundation was really helpful yeah. and, you know, healing your, your gut and your immune system. And so we slowly got him back on most, most of those things that he couldn't have, he can have now. That's absolutely phenomenal. And, um, what I love is that, so it's funny because some of the things that we learn, we learn out of necessity, not because we ever necessarily we're interested in it but because we had to right and i love that as a mom you were like i'm gonna figure this out because these doctors they're not really giving us any great answers yeah it was disturbing to me that they weren't curious about why things work the way they work they didn't care at all like they were not interested and i was like wouldn't you be interested in this if you like went to school for that long no no interest at all they're like just you know have a nice day yeah yeah and I love that you found all of this information and you took it upon yourself to do the things that the doctors were unwilling to do, mm -hmm. you know, and you, you basically, I want to say healed him through food, but you, you kind of did. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of this was me reading like actual medical studies and I'd read a little bit and then have to stop and like search the word that I was reading because I didn't know these yeah. words, you know, I, I, I don't even have my GED, like at school's never been my thing. I'm well read and, uh, th that's not a problem, but I've not, you know, I'm only, I'm only learning and studying things that I'm interested in. And I was very interested in this because, you know, I wanted to make my kid healthier. And I, I really thought I understood food and diet 
because I'd been dieting my whole life. You know, I was a chunky kid. My mom had me on Weight Watchers when I was 12. Like it's low fat, low calorie, you know, lots of protein. Um, and, and like all of that information that I had was wrong. And I was sick too. You know, I had high blood pressure and, and, and other, you know, symptoms of things that you shouldn't have when you're in your twenties or early thirties. And I thought I was doing, you know, the best that I could with the information I had. And I was, but it's like the things that they tell you to do. It's like the opposite. It's, it's horrible. It's like margarine versus butter and all of that kind of stuff that happened in the fifties and sixties. And you see how we've gone on and, and as a nation, you know, followed those directions really well and gotten sicker and sicker. Yeah, I know. Um, similarly, like I tried like the keto thing for a while and things like that, and it didn't work for me. Um, and it was funny once I basically started, not that I never eat any processed foods, but they're basically very limited now. And, you know, making sourdough and just like smaller changes i lost weight like that and i eat more than i ever did yep it's really interesting because it's if you look into insulin resistance or metabolic issues um and you look into the history of like different tribes and places that weren't exposed to the western diet they even in the literature they even call it uh diseases of civilization when they talk about cancer and tooth decay and diverticulitis and acid reflux and ibs it's diseases of modern civilization um those things obesity diabetes didn't exist in a lot of tribes until the processed foods of western civilization were introduced and it's um it's not that bread is bad. Like for a long time then I was like, oh, okay, so carbs are bad, right? Right, so right. No carbs. But then if you eat keto and all you're eating is like, you know, salami and vegetable oil, that's not a healthy diet either. Right. But we're talking like raw milk, unpasteurized dairy products, real heavy cream, fermented foods, um, you know, good vegetables and um, nose to tail eating of animals like um liver and bone broth and all those things so it's it's important and that's what that's what people traditionally did like every every civilization every tribe had had some kind of animal food whether that was um meat or or it was just dairy or a lot of eggs there's there's some type of animal food there yep. and it includes fat and organs if they're using the meat and and it's interesting because we've we uh, like want lean hamburger and, and lean cuts of meat and we never organ meats disgusting. So it's kind of like systematically we've moved everything that's nutrient dense away from our diets and brought in all this stuff. That's not, it's totally foreign. It's never been, we're being experimented on right now with things like vegetable oils. Oh, agreed. And you know, I've seen, um, I had a dentist for a while that was more naturally minded And she did a study where people who still live in a tribal way and they don't have um, really access to modern foods, they don't need braces. They don't Mm -hmm. go to a dentist. They don't use toothbrushes. And yet they don't have cavities. Right. Um, When I was, um, I mentioned the Weston A. Price Foundation and Dr. Weston A. Price was a dentist and he had went all over the place and did these studies talking about like the dental arch and crowding of teeth and sinus issues and breathing problems all being related to basically malnutrition 
but overfeeding. So it's not a lack of calories. It's a lot of lack of nutrients yes. and it, it, it increases um, with severity over generations. So maybe a person eating that diet, you know, starting to eat that diet during their lifetime would be fine, but their kids would have problems and their yes. kids, kids would have worse problems. It was uh, it's really interesting stuff. If anybody wants to dig into that. Yes. And if you're uh, not affiliated with these websites at all, but if you want raw milk, realmilk.com is a great resource and eat wild or eating wild is also a great resource oh, to find cool. like pasture raised meats and milk and things like that that's like local to you so finding those farmers and making those connections uh, and if you're worried about your supply chain making it shorter is the smartest idea so knowing your farmer knowing where your food comes from and knowing someone in your neighborhood that's producing something and, and making friends with them is a great idea yeah absolutely you know in I remember when I started down this rat, I I guess it is a rabbit hole of eating more traditionally, I will say, you know, um, everyone talks about these beef liver capsules that you should take and things like that. Um, but they don't talk about really why, Yeah. you know, and it's just, there's this stigma behind these organ meats, but they're the most nutrient dense. If you look at an animal in the wild, the first thing they go for is the organs. It's not the mm -hmm. muscle. No organs, fat, skin. That's it. Yep. Yeah. So there, there are really, really nutrient dense, um, loaded with B vitamins, um, things you can't get from other parts of the animal and things that, um, like they're all there in harmony so that your body absorbs it. You know how they talk about cofactors with vitamins like, Oh, take this magnesium, but you need to take calcium and zinc yes. or whatever yes. to make it work. Well, all of those things are there in nature just as they should be. And it's not just in any animal, it's in animals that have also eaten their natural diet. So you have to also, you're, you're hoping you're looking for, um, you know, grass fed beef and pasture raised pork and, and chickens that have been outside to run around and graze on grass. I always hate when they say chickens um, fed with a vegetarian diet because ch chickens are omnivores. They are not yeah. vegetarians. They, they hunt and they peck. And I've watched my ch chicken ca catch a little mole, like a little vole thing before and eat it and slugs and snails and bugs and whatever that they can find. They're, they're into it. Yeah, and won't they, like, eat each other, too, if, like, one's sick? Oh, if one, yeah, they'll peck each other to death if the, if one of, one of them's sick, yeah. It's kind of sad. <laughs> but And I they would totally uh, eat the carcass if it was left. They're they're uh, savages. They're, they're, baby, they're little dinosaurs. That's what they say, but I don't believe dinosaurs were real. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's for another podcast, though. Listen, I, the only, here's my thing on dinosaurs. Every other animal in the Chinese zodiac is real. Why would they only make up the dragon? Huh. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't say that there's not a dragon, right? Or that there wasn't different kinds of animals. I just say that the Smithsonian Institute and what they try to show us is like fact is just not a, that is not a thing. And you, it's really weird too, because the propaganda is so deep. Like I have kids, I have a two-year-old. I cannot find clothes that don't either have spaceships and rocket ships on them or dinosaurs. And it's like, which, what, you know, like, can I just find something that's, that's not, I, so I try to go for like the cars or like tractors and cars, stuff. tractors, like stripes, maybe yeah, stripe. right. Right. At, at this point, like, I feel like propaganda is in everything at this point though. Like, I know. It, it sure is. Yeah. Yeah. But fun stuff though. Yeah. So are you, 
you're are you still living in the mobile home with the little four by four or have you no, so you branched we, out yeah, right we we were able to move on to chud's homestead so i mentioned his the work you know retired farm yes. that was his grandpa's place that's where we live now so i'm currently in the basement that my that chud's great great grandpa built um and and this homestead has been um here for yeah so my sons are the one two three four fifth generation that's awesome generation here yeah so i mean there's even a big giant pear tree in the backyard that um was planted over 100 years ago by chud's great great grandpa and my that's what we're canning our pears from still so and it i got goosebumps that's pretty like that's that's amazing yeah, and I don't think a lot of people can say that, and it and almost didn't happen. You know, it was rented for a while and was on the market, and things just worked out that we were able to move in, and it, it was a really big deal. And we've been here since 2019, May of 2019. So, um, yeah, we got our chickens and our garden planted before 2020. <laughs> so that was that was good. You had a little little time before the world went crazy. Yeah, for sure. We, when it was kind of normal. Um, but it was uh, uh, when we were deciding to ho- homeschool our our kid at that time anyway. So also fortunate that we were homeschooling before the 2020 shit hit and people were doing weird stuff with kids at school and internet yeah. school and masks and all of that gross yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It was wild what happened. Yeah. I, I, I have a stepdaughter and like that whole time was wild. She was in first grade mm. when this started and she just started fourth. Oh, and wow. she basically so and she basically has no concept of like what quote unquote real school is. Yeah, yeah. It's she, so wild to me. Yeah, our son was uh would have been in kindergarten when that happened. And then fun stuff too is we found out we were pregnant with our second um, on March 13th of 2020, which was um, Friday the 13th that Donald Trump declared a national state of emergency. So I don't know. We're like, isn't that awesome? We have something to be excited about because we we were you know we were already like listening to propaganda report and Monica Perez talking about event 201. So we we're really on like watching this, like, are they really going to do this? Are they going for it for real this time? Or is this just a swine flu, you know? Yeah. Um, and then no, they were really going for it. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, pregnant with our second with, we, our kids have six years apart. It's okay. A, yeah. It's quite a, quite a break in between. So we have a two-year-old now too. So did you go to the hospital during COVID to give birth? Did you home birth? Like, how did that oh, work? Oh, I home birth. Yeah. No, I wanted nothing to do with the hospital. So it was a great motivator to get me to um, look into my other options instead of just kind of going with the flow like I did last time. Yep. Um, the first, my first pregnancy, I delivered in a hospital, but I did it without pain medication. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I knew what I was getting into and I was good with it. Um, Chad was really supportive and encouraging me that I could do it at home. And at first, the midwives in town were saying they were only doing it at the the birth center, which is like a home-like setting, not a hospital, but near the hospital that the midwives have people deliver in. But um, it's like, well, if I'm going to do that, at least I don't have to get in the car when I'm in labor and then drive home with a brand new baby. Um, so I, I really kind of pushed gently, you know, and looked around and, and then she agreed, like if it was where I felt mo- the most comfortable and I told her, I'm like, this, you know, other people 
in my son's family have been born in this house. Like it's pretty magical. And she couldn't argue with that. So yeah, we, uh, we were able to deliver at home with the midwife and, but she was only here for 15 minutes before my son was uh, born. So, um, it was really hands off and it was pretty amazing. And uh, yeah, I would, I would definitely do that again. That's phenomenal. I hope that one day I'm lucky enough to be pregnant and give birth at home. Yeah. So it's, it's good stuff. If you, if you get there and you want resources, I've got tons of good books and documentaries and things I could suggest. Yes. Yes. I, uh, I would, I'm never opposed to information. I love learning information now, even though that's not where I'm at. Mm -hmm. Um, just to, you know, I, there's, if anyone's on the fence about, you know, if home birth is safe, um, the documentary, The Business of Being Born is really good. And it's kind of funny because it's Ricky Lake. Yes. <laughs> and so I always already made, wanted to make fun of it when I first saw it, but like, it was pretty, it's pretty awesome. And it go, really goes over the why midwifery is safer actually, and home birth is safer and has better rates than, than childbirth in the hospital. Yeah. She just actually came out with like a kind of a follow-up documentary of the business of birth control. Oh, interesting. I haven't seen that. It's, I think, I think you can watch it for free this weekend. Oh, um, I'll right. send it to you on Instagram. Yeah. But yeah, it's the business of birth control about basically how birth control wrecks a woman's uh, endocrine system yeah. and makes it really difficult to get pregnant later on and they why they might be. Any of that. No. Yeah. No, and they don't tell you that. They're like, oh, you have heavy periods and bad cramps. This is what you should do to regulate your periods when you're like 12 and you're not even having sex. It's yeah. like crazy. It's, yeah, like we, we don't need to talk about why you're having really bad cramping and heavy periods. That doesn't matter. We're just going to give you yeah. a magic pill. Right. It's not because you're like, um, you know, without nutrients and you, you should change your diet or try these other things or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's insane. It's insane. Or you're probably estrogen dominant because of all the plastics and the hormone disruptors like the fragrances everywhere we're not going to talk yeah. about that or the soy or you know yeah. like all yeah that. yeah for sure yeah it's pretty crazy i would love to see that yeah and then i know she did a follow-up to the business of being born it's like the sequel to it and it's a, a oh series. i didn't know that it's it's some of it's redundant but it's like a four or five part series and they they like go to the uh what was it called the farm where ina may gaskin the midwife is uh was from originally and they they go to a different places and they follow a few people through their pregnancy and birth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I've also heard, um, this term free birthing where yeah. you don't have any type of, um, midwife or anything like that. It's basically you and your husband or partner, if you're not married, like whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And, you know, and there's been some people who say, um, basically they like the midwife there so they don't have to clean up afterwards you know the midwife and... is super efficient and like really yes really they have this certain way you make your bed beforehand so that like when i got up to use the bathroom the first time i came back and my bed was like stripped and clean sheets my favorite clean sheets are on there and like the bed was all made and they started the laundry for us so they were there for like two hours total 15 minutes before and then it was just her and a, an assistant midwife who was still in training and they like clean up and did a little bit of paperwork and then they were on their way. And then two days later they came back to check on the baby and make sure he was increasing in weight and, and looking good. 
And that was that. And then I had one more visit with her, I think, when I went into the office, maybe two more visits. So they see you postpartum as well. Um, I am tempted to do the free birth thing if this happens again, because I, I do so well. And I have this really good understanding of what the physiologic ask, you know, what is happening to my body. Um, that I think, I think it's kind of sad because I think if you look at history, um, women would have understood that, uh, before because they would have witnessed childbirth when their mother was giving birth to siblings and when their sisters or aunts were, and they were, it's this community thing where women would come together and support each other. Right. So you would know where the baby comes from. Now I feel like there are certain girls that can get to childbearing age that might not even know what hole it's going to come out of. And that's really sad to me. Um, So I get why people are scared because everything on, on the media tells you everything it's when it's portrayed in movies, it's screaming and yelling and cursing the husband and um, squeezing things or, you know, that's, it doesn't have to be like that. It's not like that. Some, no one has to yell at you to push. Like it's literally, I like it's crude, but I'm going to do it. Anyway. No, no, please, please. Okay. If you think of it, if you went to, if you had to poop and the doctor told you to come into the office, squat on a table in front of a group of people and then yelled at you to push, do you think you could take a shit? The answer is no. Like, no, most people couldn't do that. Some people can't even pee in a public restroom because of the sound, people hearing the sound. You yeah. Know, saying you have a shy bladder. Well, that's the law of the sphincter. That's what Ina Mae Gaskin says. She's one of the grand midwives. Yes. Um, it's like you can't release your body. It's not, you're not comfortable. It's not coming out. And so the more comfortable you are, the easier it is. And so in my own bedroom, in my own house, walking around wherever I wanted to was definitely more comfortable than the hospital. And it went really well. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely see that. Like, you know, and for a lot, so like for me, my, my biggest reason is I associate every time I've gone to the hospital, I've either had surgery or I've been almost di- like almost dying. Yeah, right. So me so, going to the hospital is traumatic and scary and bad things happen there. Why sure. would something good happen there? Right. And then why would you think to go and do this thing? That's a totally normal thing that your body is supposed to go through there. Right. You know, unless beforehand you knew that there was something different about you or something a different, you know, you can go through the normal checks where you could have an ultrasound if you wanted to um that can be controversial too but um you can you can do these things preventatively to see you know is everything just looking like normal and if it is like i don't know there's there's other options not just the hospital setting yeah it it's definitely not just a hospital setting and i wish more women understood that you know, and yeah. I've also heard a lot of women who they want a home birth and either their husbands and or their families basically freak out and think that they're going to die because they give birth at home. And I'm like, what do you think they did beforehand? Well, you lost like, you know, four out of six babies, right? Isn't <laughs> that yeah, what it just lost in the prairie days? <laughs> but, but but that's what they think is they're like, oh, you're going to die and the baby's going to die and you're going to bleed out and you have to go to the hospital. And I'm like, but... All, a lot of times, not all, not every time, but I'm venturing to say the vast majority of the time, there is a quote unquote emergency in birth. It's because they probably pumped you full of drugs like Pitocin mm-hmm. and then something gets stalled and like all of these things that they do to you, these interventions to speed up labor mm-hmm. are usually what cause the reason that you need a C-section in the first place. 
That's it. So the hospital works on a timeline and they want to see you meet all these um, markers. And if you don't meet these markers, then you're having an abnormal pregnancy and it's not tolerated. So if you don't go into labor naturally by 40 weeks, or sometimes they even want you to do earlier, 38 weeks, um, then they want to induce you. And when once you're induced, it's just a slippery slope to the C-section. It's um, your body's not ready. You, you can't just pry open a rosebud and expect it to bloom it's you destroy it. It's like yeah. the, all the different things that they do to try to get you to dilate and have this baby come out is just, it's shocking. So if you are not sure what to do, just try not to get induced. Just try to go into labor naturally. Yeah. And just say no, it's really hard because they're very pushy. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, my husband. And I have had extensive conversations about when that time comes, like what I'm okay with and what I'm not. You know, and because I'm like, but he's also seen me ar- ar- out argue for doctors while bleeding internally. So he's, he's like, yeah, he's like, I can't even argue with you either. So it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it was hard and I'm stubborn and I knew what I wanted. And I remember being in the hospital the first time and um, I had thought my water broke. And so they told me I needed to come in right away. And that was my first mistake. I should have labored at home for as long as possible, but I didn't. I went in. And they said, oh, no, when they tested to see if it was um, amniotic fluid. And and I said, what? And they said, well, it is. And I said, okay. And, and they said, well, you're hooked up to this monitor and it's showing you're having really big contractions, but you're not feeling them. So there must be something wrong. I was like, not feeling them? Like, who are you to tell me what I'm feeling? Yeah. Like, I'm just controlling myself. I'm staying relaxed because I've been doing hypnobirthing and that's what I'm supposed to do. Like... They were like scared because I wasn't screaming when I was having contractions. And so they called the doctor in to check me. And I sure I was fine. I was, you know, six centimeter, six, six centimeters dilated already. And they're like, yeah, she's fine. Like, just get her a room and (laughs) it's fine. But I had fussy nurses and I just, I had stalled out at eight centimeters and wasn't moving for like six hours. And it was just, I had this nurse that was fussy. She just, she didn't want me to get up and move around, but I was insistent. She didn't, she wanted to keep the monitor in a certain way that it wasn't working. She kept getting worried and it wasn't until her shift ended and this new nurse came in and I really liked her energy as she entered the room. I was like, she's okay. Everything started to change, but it was that time I had been there for, you know, 12 hours. And that's that timeline. You've been, your water's been broken for 12 hours. Uh Uh-oh. And it's like my doctor who I'd known a long time and I really, really trusted. um, She said, well, let's just do Pitocin just a little bit, just, just a tiny amount, just to, help you get to where you can can deliver this baby and at that point i'm like okay i'm i'm tired but i'm not tired of being in labor i'm tired of these freaking people bothering me when i'm trying to watch this south park uh, marathon with, with chud um so you know finally i said yes and that changed everything i mean so fast i was like just my body it was like having a charlie horse of your whole abdomen And then they're worried because the baby's heart rate is dropping and the heart rate is dropping because you gave me drugs that are making my uterus contract in an unnatural way. I didn't know stressing out the baby. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that now. So then they have more people coming in and they're talking about their golf tournament. And I'm like, who are these assholes? Get them out of here. And it was just like all this chaos. And then Chad was really kind of shoved out of the way. You know, he's up by my head and all these people are looking at my crotch and it's just like, so weird like they're you know push yelling and then then the baby comes and that's he's healthy and it's great but then I'm like um have I 
have I delivered the placenta yet? And they're like, oh yeah, it's gone. So they had cut the cord and taken the placenta away. I never saw my own placenta. It was gone. Like, it was like, I don't know what I would do with it. Like I wasn't as aware then as I am now, Yeah. but I wanted to at least see that, you know, um, it's fascinating. If nothing else, but something yeah. that comes out of you, it's some, an organ that I grew. Yeah. I mean, a whole organ cool. that you grow and then expel. <laughs> yeah. I want to see that too. Yeah, they took it all away. I didn't get to touch the umbilical cord or see what it looked like. Um, it was just like all gone and fast and like frantic. And that um, we were really tired. And um, that was so, so, so different to do that at home. I had all the time to like let the cord stop pulsing and see the, the placenta and take a picture of it. And um, the midwife never touched the baby. Chud caught the baby. She, no, I never had any checks ahead of time. Uh, Chud put the baby on my chest. Like it was just super peaceful and mellow. It was even like the baby wasn't crying. And, and was that, is that you like on TV, they would slap the baby or whatever yeah. to make him cry. Well, the, he didn't need to cry. Like he was, he was safe and comfortable. He was breathing. And, you know, he let out some sounds in a little bit, but it wasn't this like immediate, like crying and bright lights in your face and everything. Because he wasn't in distress. He wasn't that, scared. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's so hard for people to know that though, because what you see on TV and then also whenever people talk about birth stories, they're really talking about the traumatic stuff that happens to them. And people really, it seems like people can relate to each other that way better than they can relate to each other on positive notes. Yes. So they're like, oh, the, my back labor was so bad or it hurt so bad or the epidural didn't work. And um, I, it was just horrible. It was, I don't know. I was more scared to have an epidural and have them poke a needle into my spine than I was to deliver, you know, without pain medication. Right. I'm not pregnant. And I agree with that 100 <laughs> percent. Totally. Um, so I don't know. It's just such a weird thing. There's like so many you can really dig into like any kind of industry that we have um, and you think. They phrase this like it's here to help you. But then you look at the history of it and you're like, well, there wasn't really anything wrong to begin with. And then they realized that they could make money off of it. And at first they started to sell it like a spa-like experience where rich ladies yeah. could come to deliver their babies. And then twilight birth was a thing where they would give you this kind of... Um, the nitrous. Of the the nitrous that they use at the dentist. That's what they would use for was pregnant that, women. Were, I thought there was also something else kind of like close to ether, which would knock them out completely. And then they would um, forcibly deliver the baby, use forceps, and then the lady would wake up. The baby was there. But they it would make them violent even though you weren't um present it was like you know you're blacked out drunk kind of so they would have to tie you to the table with your legs and your arms because you would be thrashing around to try to you know get away from it or something and yeah. that is horrifying to me apparently that happened to one of my grandmothers really wow hmm. oh yeah. yeah yeah ask ask grandmas and they know that's some yeah. weird shit they were doing back then but that that's what the doctors told them to do and it was like there was this weird line and I feel like it is now of don't get your hands dirty don't go into the trades that's a bad thing you know you don't want to give birth naturally because that's a bad thing that's a dirty thing mm -hmm. and so you know our great grandmothers were like oh if there's an easier way you know go do that you know that's the better way that's the new way that's the modern way mm -hmm. I feel like in so many different cases the modern way sucks 
It is. Well, and it just, <laughs> it just makes a middleman where there doesn't need to be one. Yes. It makes, um, it makes, you know, money leave you and taxes leave you when it doesn't need to happen. And it just um, makes things more complicated. There's more, more intervention is never good for a natural process. Um, it's, it's designed the way it is for a reason. And our bodies are do what they're supposed to do. And, and we've forgotten that and we don't trust that. And, and that's, if anybody can, if you need to do some work now, start to learn, like, yeah, we can trust our bodies. Like, are they want to heal themselves? How can we facilitate that? Well, we could stop poisoning it. That, that's yeah, a good start. Exactly. Right? But then what's poison? You know, you, there's a lot of research to be done. There's a lot of unlearning to do to be able to get there. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people, either they don't want to, or don't have the time to unlearn mm-hmm. and, or they're scared of those answers. And the way that my husband describes it is uh, a person's bubble of belief. They don't want to ask the questions on things that are going to pierce that bubble of belief oh, yeah. and change what they've thought they knew. Right. Because then you have to do a whole bunch more work because if that's a lie, then this is what a else lie, is a lie. This is a lie. Then this is a lie. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I don't know, for me, that was kind of exciting because it, it helped me make a lot of sense of things that I didn't really understand. Um, I always kind of felt like I was being lied to by authorities since I was a kid and I didn't like that. I just didn't know that the people who were telling me the lies believed them as well. Um, I thought they were, they were, you know, hiding something from me. Kind of like your parents telling you that Santa's real when they know it's not. This is like, uh, my teachers believed in Santa, you know, they thought that they thought that what they were teaching me was really important. They thought, um, you know, this being on your permanent record, or you're going to really regret it if you don't go to prom, like those, those things <laughs> they believed wholeheartedly. And, uh, I found them to not be true. So yeah, as I started to kind of dig into stuff like with food and other things, uh, it made me feel better that I could just really freely question things and look at them from a, a new lens and with the information that I have through my own filters and make my own decision for things. What is or was the most shocking thing to learn in this journey? Oh boy. Oh, shocking. Well, I don't know. It's like, maybe the first thing seems shocking, but then everything after that is like, yeah, I guess so. You know, like, yeah, it's like, it seems like when you, when someone like Chad asked me, do you think we went to the moon? I was like, I don't know. You know, they said we did whatever. I never really thought about it. And he's like, well, do you think they could have made like a Skype call in 1969? from the moon to the white house. I was like, Oh shit. No, like, no, <laughs> they didn't do that. It was like that easy. And then I, yeah. I'm just laughing. I'm like, Oh, and then I look into it more and it's like, Oh yeah, no, that doesn't seem like they did that at all. So, um, it's, uh, <clears throat> I don't know. Stuff doesn't really shock me like that. It's more, ex- it's more exciting. Like, I think it's funny cause it's just, you can go crazy or you can laugh at the absurdity that is what we're given here and and I, I choose to laugh I guess it's more fun what is the funniest thing then that you've discovered that you're like I can't believe I believe this for so long or I can't believe this many people believe this really the moon landing is a big one yeah, because <laughs> it, is, it is super absurd and I don't know you know I'm like not gonna say that there's no way it could have happened or you know I don't know I'm not there and I don't pretend to be but when you look at the stuff they say are facts and the things that they say have happened, uh, it's really, yeah, shocking. And then you can go like onto like NASA's website, like government websites and look at, um, stuff 
that they have like released to everybody and you can look oh like well they hired a lot of nazis that's weird yeah like operation paperclip go look that up yeah what's that about like so it's just um that one that's one's a fun one uh to dig into um the 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 funniest one um i think i can think of is is one i've never heard anywhere else but i had a co-worker he's pretty religious like catholic had like 10 kids they homeschooled um but he was still he was more like military you know like um republican kind of guy than okay and I, where i'm just like the anarchist leaning but we had a lot of middle ground but he had said one time that there's not enough coconut trees in the world to support the amount of coconut oil that are being used so that coconut oil is like fake and like so so chad and i always call it the, like the, the coconuts are fake conspiracy and it, it just makes me laugh really hard like coconuts aren't real have you ever seen one and i was like well in a store i have but i guess i've never been anywhere where there's like coconut trees maybe they're not real so um, I don't know. I've never looked into it any further. I don't know where he got his information, but that that's a that's a favorite for sure. So I don't know. Is coconut oil even real? What is that stuff? I don't know. Like I've heard they've been like putting stuff like claiming it's 100 percent pure avocado oil, but apparently that's like not well regulated. So it's typically not 100 percent avocado oil. So at this point, sure. What else is it? Like it's probably not just coconut oil. I don't know. Sometimes yeah. it doesn't melt uniformly. So sure. Sure, right. Um, that one, and then also um, the Stevie Wonder can see and that he's not yes. blind. That's a good one. And actually, when you look into that, there's like some videos of him like um, catching like a microphone that was dropping that he shouldn't have been able to see and things like that. There's like um, people talking about how they've seen him drive. Like Shaquille O'Neal talked about how they, he saw him drive. Yeah. Well, wasn't there, I don't remember who it was. I thought maybe it was Shaquille O'Neal or like Magic Johnson or I don't know. But like someone was standing in an elevator and they didn't say no, anything. That was Sha- yeah, that was Yeah, Sha- and Stevie Wonder walks in. And, like, it was in a public place. You couldn't have known who this guy was. Hi, Shaq. Yeah, hi, Shaq. And (laughs) if you can't see me, how do you know that it, like... Yeah, yeah, it's... I don't know. It's great. I love it. I love that idea. And then we, like, Chad and I joke, like, yeah, did you know that um, all blind people are faking it? (laughs) That's, like, a fake conspiracy. You know, like, all birds birds are drones and all people are faking it. I'm sure that's super offensive to some people. I'm sorry, but it's (laughs) it's just a joke. (laughs) Listen, like, people need to learn to take a joke because yeah, everyone is too offended by everything. Oh, man. Comedy has been ruined. I used to love stand-up comedy, and it's just been wrecked. Agreed. Yeah, now it's just people, like, I don't know, yelling at you for, like, not being woke enough or something, yes. you know? And I'm like, that's that's not a joke. You're like, this is, like, spoken word, maybe, but, like, just seems more like a lecture. Yeah, I'm not – there are very few comedians that I enjoy because, for me, I don't typically understand all the time when someone makes a joke. So mm-hmm. very frequently I will look at someone and go, are, are you being serious? And I legitimately won't know. Uh-huh. Like, if they laugh afterwards, I can see the facial cues. Yeah. But if they say deadpan, I'm like, are, oh, are, yeah. are you being serious? And I legitimately don't know because I've had – like my husband will make a joke and I'm like, are, are, are you serious? Are, 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 are we joking? Like, <laughs> yeah, what's, what's going on here? 
that's funny that's how my mom is with chud so um she just laughs at everything he says which has been like <laughs> really sad sometimes because like he says something really genuine like heartfelt nice to her and she just laughs and he's Aww. like <laughs> and she doesn't know if you're joke. she just thinks you're being sarcastic all the she just is covering her bases and just laughing at all of it so she doesn't miss anything oh <laughs> yeah it's pretty funny yeah. does she live far from you guys uh, my my parents live uh 20 minutes away from us yeah pretty close we live next door to them at, a, at our previous house oh that's cool yeah that one's super then, close and yeah it's nice my mom's like seeing her grandkids so we see her all the time that's awesome. Yeah. What is your favorite part of your homestead? Oh, um, boy, there's the kitchen is pretty great, <laughs> but you know, the garden and the chickens, I'd say ch- having chickens is amazing. That's the first year we actually, we didn't plant a garden the first year. Cause we moved in at the end of May. So we were well into the growing season already and we were moving house. Um, and I was working full time. Um, I think Chad was working full-time when we first moved in as well. Um, so we, we got chickens, you know, towards the end of that summer, like by August, we had chickens here and well, we got seven or eight, seven or eight from some lady who had listed them and there ended up being when they, they were chicks, but not tiny chicks. When they grew up, we ended up having six roosters and two hens. So I that's a little disproportionate. Sure this lady like knew she could sex she could sex them by now and could tell we were noobs and she gave us all of our roosters. So it was a really good learning experience of like you know why people say not to have that many roosters, but like still being happy just to have animals on the land, you know, scratching and pecking and pooping. And uh, then we ended up processing those roosters for meat, which was also a great experience and our first experience doing that together. Um, this year, you know, to compare, since then we got, you know, we hatched from those two hens, we hatched their f- fertile eggs and um, had an, our next batch of roosters and hens. And we've hatched, I don't know, probably over 100 chicks on the homestead now. Oh, wow. And processed more roosters. And then this year we did meat birds as well. So we, we um, slaughtered 20 um, meat specific breed uh, chickens. And that was a really good experience. Um, definitely going to get a plucker for next time because we plucked by hand and that was a lot of work. Um, so yeah, chickens are great because eggs are such a good source of protein and choline and like other you know, and minerals. It's um, good to feed to your dog. Like eggs are great for, uh, are so versatile. They don't need to be refrigerated when they're farm fresh. So you don't have to put them in the fridge and it's like this really secure feeling that you have this, this protein source. Um, chickens are probably the best part of the homestead. Yeah. I, uh, I probably eat like at least three eggs a day. And then if at night, my husband jokes, I eat like a bird. So I'm eating all throughout the day, like little meals all the time. Um, but if I don't have protein, I become very hangry. <laughs> so I have to have protein. Otherwise, like if I just had like a piece of toast or cereal or something, like forget about it. I'm, yeah. don't, don't talk to me. Right. So at night, if I get hungry, I'll make more eggs. So there's, there's days that I'll have like five, six eggs. That's great. 
that's what everybody should be doing. <laughs> and my cholesterol is not high, so exactly. And there's no correlation between cholesterol and heart disease anyway. So that's a whole nother another conspiracy you could dive into. It's pretty amazing how that all came about, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole butter versus margarine and mm-hmm. you know, canola oils and seed oils, those are bad for you people. Just eat right. butter. Just eat Just real eat butter. food. Just eat yeah. real food, yes. Yeah. That's it. When in doubt. And so that's why I was thinking, I'm like, because I, I like using avocado oil for like a liquid, you know, like olive oil or avocado oil. I yep. have coconut oil in the house and then I have lard and tallow and duck fat, yep. um, chicken fat. Um, I think I need to start focusing more on the animal fats that I render myself because how else do you know that they're not from like some mixed with something weird or that yeah. co- coconuts aren't real? <laughs> <laughs> avocado oil is actually just like green tinted you know canola oil or something i don't know oh that'd be awful i know i know because that's my like guilty pleasure like people probably think i eat horribly because when i go to the store like like it's just chips (laughs) because i raise so much of my own food here we have our eggs we've got our you know i go get raw milk at one in one place and we get our our beef from a local farmer. So when I go to that literal grocery store, yep. it's for like chips. And there's this one brand like Boulder or something that they do avocado oil chips. And so I'm like, I can get chips and not feel bad about it. But now I'm like, what if they're not really using avocado oil? And oh, just man. I can't believe anything in these days. You can't. Like, My guilty pleasure is like gummy stuff. Like I love, oh, yeah. I, I love the gummy stuff. So like um, gummy bears or fruit snacks or things like that. So, have you ever made um, fruit snacks or gummy bears before? It's on my to-do list. I literally have all this stuff to do it, and beyond this, like a silicone mold. But I guess I I could probably just do it in like a big glass dish. You could do too. it in a big thing and then just cut them up or cut them with cookie cutters. But yeah, you can get the cute little molds too and use a dropper. And it's just grass-fed collagen and juice. Yeah. Um. If you so you don't have to use honey, you don't have to use any sugar because they're oh, okay. st- they taste good even with just juice. So, uh, yeah, I would just make juice and um, mix the collagen in. You know, you have to cook it on the stove until it starts to gel, and then you put it yeah. into the little molds. And then it takes forever to kind of pop them out of the silicone. But that's why silicone is important because it's flexible, so you can push it from the other side and pop them out. Okay. That's really good. I mean, I learned to do that when my son had the allergies because I couldn't give him any treats, you know, for yeah. birthdays and stuff. So it was like making donuts at home, like with a donut cake pan with uh, ingredients that were okay for him and, you know, um, flax seeds instead of eggs when he couldn't do that, you know. So um, that those and co- that uh, grass-fed collagen is super good for you too. Yeah, I actually have ones of grass-fed collagen. It just, I haven't done it yet. And I'm the type of person, like, I have all of these things that I want to do. But some, even though, honestly, the gummies, like the grass-fed gummies, they're not with a collagen not that hard i i make harder things oh yeah totally it's super easy but you just haven't done it before so there's that like block there exactly exactly i'm like i could probably do this from start to finish you know once it's in the fridge it'd probably take me like maybe a half hour maybe yeah it's super quick but I'm like, but I've never done it before. And you're right. You're exactly. So you this is block it's there. It's just using a different part of your brain. That's why I really recommend to people who take the, the workshops, just do the thing and then do it again consecutively for a while. And then it's going to be this thing that's never a big deal to just do. So like when I learned sourdough, I was really resistant of doing sourdough because I, I was like, this is going to be too con- time consuming to learn. 
there's too many steps to it. It's, it's going to be this big deal. And I'm, and you know, I didn't want to do it, but this last January, I started my sourdough starter from scratch. And then I committed to between January and the end of February to, to doing something with sourdough every day. And so I was either, you know, feeding my starter and mixing dough or stretching dough or shaping dough or baking and it was like I was taking pictures of my loaves and you can just see the progression of it getting better and better and better until it's like super good loaf. And I was like, okay, now I got that. I write down my recipe because it's different than what the recipes I was practicing from. I, I found my own by doing it over and over and over. And then I, um, you know, did it still at least once a week for March and April until the summer where I took a little break. And now I'm back to it. I'm, I'm teaching a homeschool class on Fridays with kids 12 and older um, to do sourdough and it's like and my loaves are still really good even though I took a break over the summer but if I would have not done that so many times initially then it would be just as challenging for me to like start doing that again now yeah um, because it wouldn't have been really committed to memory where the idea is to be able to make something without having to pull out your recipe card and just having things memorized yeah what's funny to me is I make sourdough and I can basically do it from memory now, but I'm intimidated by col- uh, collagen gummies. Oh, yeah. Or gelatin. <laughs> yeah, gelatin or collagen. Yeah. It's so funny because sourdough is like so in- involved. I know. And those gummies are like two ingredients and like I mix them together in a saucepan and then dump them in a mold. And you're I done. know. Like I- I've made like, you know, cheesecake brownies with like a browned butter salted caramel sauce like all from scratch (laughs) but i'm like but gummies are intimidating because i've never done it before and it's stupid but it's just it's mental block and i need to get over it it's totally it's totally a normal thing it's funny huh yeah what is your favorite thing to make oh um because i know you do a lot of fermenting stuff but i didn't know if it was like fermenting or if it was something else yeah, fermenting and fermented beverages are probably my favorite thing to make. And that's broad. That's like a category, not a, a thing, you know, like a yeah. specific meal or whatever. Um, yeah, I love to, I love the process of fermentation. Like starting something that's just, um, you know, water, sugar, and fruit and letting it sit on your counter and realizing that there's this wild bacteria spores around us all the time that need this perfect environment for them to come to life. And then you watch that happen inside of your jar and bubbles start to happen and things start to move around like a lava lamp and you can hear it and smell the changes. It's like really exciting. It's exciting to me that there is aspects of life that we cannot see that are at play around us all the time. And even if you try to really dive into the science behind fermentation and you know the name lactobacillus and acetic acid and lactic acid and all these things and yeast that's at play, there's so many things that have never been named and never been studied and that we don't know that are there. But through, you know, alchemy, through transmutation, through years and years and years of tradition and, and observations, we know how to like harness this and make this happen. It's just, it's fascinating to me. It's really fun. And I love to listen to my ferments. So that's people get a kick at the, out of that at the workshops where I'm like, get right in there and get your ear in there. You know, move your hair out of the way. Don't be gross, but get your ear right in there. Get your <laughs> face. You got to put your like nose and mouth into the jar opening and just like breathe it in. It's like, that's how you know that this is food is healthy and okay to eat. 
because a lot of people are scared when they first start fermenting you're telling me that you're supposed to just leave this food on the counter until it looks it's like foamy that seems like scary right yeah like you're gonna get botulism or whatever so like learning about how you're not going to get botulism and how to prevent mold and and like watching these processes happen over and over is like given me this confidence in the kitchen and with food that I was did not have before that. Like I was scared, so scared of like salmonella or E. coli and wanting to overcook my steaks and like being worried that the inside of a, you know, pork sausage would be pink. And now I understand so much more about how all of that stuff works and why salmonella or E. coli would be present is not because of the food. It's because of the process that, that got the food to your house. So by taking more control over how the food is prepared and by knowing your farmer or, or, or growing it and raising it yourself, um, you, you take control back. It's not, it's not this guessing game if you're going to get sick. Processed foods override our senses with all these different chemicals and, and combinations that we can't just smell that and know for sure if that's going to make us sick or not. Um, when you're working with real food, you definitely can. Yeah, I remember, I can't remember what show it was on, but um, you were on it and you're like, yeah, everyone thinks that you can get botulism from canned food. You know, it's not canned correctly, but if you heat up the food and cook it, you can't get botulism. Right. So like botulism is a spore that's just around you all the time. Yeah. And so you have to give it the right environment to turn into botulism toxin. And that would be in a wet environment that's room temperature, so without oxygen. So a canned good that's been improperly canned is the perfect environment to grow botulism. But botulism dies at 220 degrees Fahrenheit. So if you bring that food that's in that jar to a boil, you should kill all of the botulism toxins. So even if you do improperly can something, you have something that's questionable. If you're heating your food anyway, then there's this like extra fail safe. Why don't they tell people? I I feel like they don't tell people that because they think we're too stupid and that we're just going to make ourselves sick. When I heard that, I, I remember I was driving and I was literally like, are you freaking serious? I never knew this. Yeah, like knew how dangerous don't... botulism was like all you know that's what botox is made of yep mm-hmm. botox is made of botulism people yeah. and uh we like all of this stuff but didn't know that yeah it's weird because even when i try to look for that written out i can't find it so i'm telling you that because i figured it out because i'm not because somebody has ever put that in a document because everybody's too scared to give that information out and be held responsible the the instances of people um, getting sick from botulism in the United States is like one in like five years. And it was from a lady who licked the spoon that she was serving. She served the same soup to her whole family. Her whole family didn't get sick because they ate the soup heated. She licked the spoon after with the cold soup and she got botulism. So I was like, huh, so you're telling me, right, you kill the botulism by heating it up. And actually botulism toxin, I think, is destroyed at a lower temperature than the spore itself. And so why you have to heat things to such a high degree with pressure canning is to kill the spores so that the spores won't be alive in the food that's then going to sit on the counter uh, or on the shelf. And so it's this high heat for a certain length of time, depending on the density of the food. But then when you get into fermented foods and things that are water bath canned, those are not affected by botulism because botulism cannot um, live in an acidic environment. 
So uh, all ferments are acidic and all fruit, things that you can like fruits and tomatoes and, and vinegar pickles, those are acidic so that they, they can't grow botulism at all. And that's why there's, there's two methods of canning for people who don't know water bath canning and pressure canning and water bath canning. You can do anything, any acidic food can be water bath canned because it doesn't, there's no risk of botulism there. You just have to kill all the mold spores. See, why don't we learn this in school? <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. I even took home ec and there was none of that. Like, why don't we learn this in school? You know, or like my taxes or anything, not that I agree with taxes, but like anything useful, how to balance a right. checkbook. Like, right. Instead of, you know, hot cross just, buns on the freaking recorder or some shit. Yeah, no, definitely did the recorder. Yeah, just um, memorize stuff and repeat it and sit still and stand in line. And, and that's those are the skills that they find. Yeah, really and, they, and they tell you when you children. can drink water and when you can go to the bathroom and, like... Yeah. It's, it's a broken system. It's not meant for us to be our best selves, that's for sure. It's no. meant for us to be compliant. Compliant and good little workers. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely sad. That's why, you know, um, grow some kids and, and homeschool them if you can, or at least teach them what's real when they get home so that they know what, what's happening to them when they're there. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people talk about that for, you know, various reasons. They can't homeschool, um, but at least still encouraging their child to have critical thinking skills. Oh, yeah. You know, and think yeah. for themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're there a lot. But, you know, you if you spend time with them when you're home, if you guys all don't just go to your separate screens, you know, sit down to dinner together and do that. I mean, there's a lot of time in the day for you to get, get your point across to your kids if you're honest and you're real with them. Uh, the world as it is today. We had a good episode a few back with um, Chef Matt Pierce of Granite State Spice Blends. Uh, he's out of New Hampshire, and he's got that small business where he does spice blends. He was on Charlie Robinson's show recently okay. talking about um, lab-grown meats and the Culinary Institute of America and all the evil, nefarious players in, in that whole scene. It's a great episode. Um, but he and I uh, and Shed all talked about raising kids. He's got two girls, and they go to public school. But what he was talking about is how he keeps them real and grounded, and that's, you know dinner dinner conversations and uh sharing sharing you know what what are they doing at school and schoolwork and being involved and i think that's super important yeah yeah well in you know when the world went crazy parents couldn't volunteer for things they couldn't go into the kids school they couldn't talk to the teachers they couldn't all of these things and so the little time that the glimpses that you could get a lot of those were taken away you know, and when they were doing the online learning, a lot of schools, they wanted you to sign things that basically said you weren't going to look over your kid's shoulder or be present in the classroom, quote unquote. That was so creepy to say you couldn't be in the room when someone on the internet is talking to your kid. That yeah. Went, that's insane to me. Yeah. My, my stepdaughter school wanted that. And my husband's like, why can't we know? Like, yeah. If you're talking about a first grader, then too, you're talking about like a six or seven year old. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, like what are you going to be telling them that I can't hear? Yeah. And you're like, oh, oh. Well, you would be distracting. So we were told it was to respect the other student's privacy. Okay. So I'm like, okay, so a little first, second grader is going to ask a question because they don't understand a, uh, whatever. 
we're, if we're not looking at the screen, we're just hearing it. Like what, like what is the issue? Yeah. It's, it's very, um, that's unsettling. Yeah. Very creepy stuff. Yeah. And a lot of, um, you know, it didn't happen to us, but a lot of schools were doing some shady stuff and parents overheard and then teachers got called out and yeah and you think like that's that's what you're depending on the teacher like they're pushing their agenda and their beliefs right and the more woke your school district is the the scarier that is <clears throat> or you know even people that are obsessed with the military and republicans like i don't want anyone indoctrinating my kids i'm doing that <laughs> you know like yeah it's leave leave it alone they can go out and learn the, 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 what I try to get across to our kids, what we do try to get across to our kids is that that question everything. Like, it's not what you think it is. We, you need to to look around and use your your own mind to figure things out, and um, and be respectful. And sometimes you need to remember that you're the alien and you're like traveling to another planet, and you don't want them to know you're an alien. You're they're gonna find you out and try to dissect you so just try to try to fit in while you're figuring all this out that's what i always say we're the aliens here with you know when we go to the grocery store and everyone's wearing a mask and we're not we're the aliens remember don't you know don't draw attention to us smile when people look at you (laughs) that's funny that but i feel like that's so true like that's a great way to explain it to kids because not enough people i guess are traditional in their living Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's whatever traditional means to you. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, y- you don't want to scare them, right? You mm-hmm. don't want to make them – you want them to know that they're different, but not that different is bad. Right. Right. right? We're not bad and we're not – but we're we're the weird ones. And so we have to, you know, approach things like – you can't think it's weird that other people think we went to the moon, <laughs> you know, like our kid goes back and forth on what he thinks about it, but we tell him what we think. And we talk about, you know, the evidence and what normal people think and what you'd be learning in school. So he gets this really full picture of it. And, uh, but I'm like, you can't walk up to a normal person and, and even mention that oh. without people getting like mad at you. Yeah. So th- then they need to know that too, so that they're not just like totally ostracized from their peers and play groups. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I don't know, I, I can see someone getting mad and basically going, you're confusing your kid, and, like, I can see someone Oh yeah, but having a so hissy smart. fit. They're so smart. Oh, they are. They can totally understand that different people believe different things, and they can, they can, they can take all of that in from a very young age. And, and they're okay uh, with it. They're totally okay with it. They only become not okay with it when people tell them not to be okay with it. Sure. When they've been taught for years by the school system to, that there's one right answer for everything and that you can't question anything or you're going to be wrong, you're going to get an F. Those kids have a hard time hearing that there's multiple ways of looking at things or there there might be pe- different people with different perspectives. And then you have the, the, that like one track mind where there's only one right answer. And that's, I don't right. think that's good. I mean, that le- leaves you a lot of uh, divisiveness and a lot of you know, they can manipulate us that way. They can train us to think certain things and, and it's not good. Well, it's not even just there's one right answer, but every answer that's not this answer is the wrong answer. Oh, sure. Yeah. They're, yeah, absolutely. That other people are wrong. I remember my stepdaughter was going into second grade. 
mm-hmm. and they had like this like Sesame Street town hall on racism because I think it was George Floyd or something. Yeah. So up until that point, she didn't realize she didn't recognize skin color. She just liked them because they had the same interests and they got along or they didn't get along. Like it wasn't even a boy girl thing. It was just either we like the same things or we don't. Right. That's how she picked her friends. Mm-hmm. Well then after being made to watch this Sesame street town hall on racism, it's now it's, well, the hair is different and the skin is different and they're bigger or they're shorter or they're taller or they're boys or they're girls or they wear a head covering or like, and then all of these things. And I'm like, she had no idea until you told her it was a problem. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly it. And that's intentional. That is intentional. That is meant to divide us. Everything that says anti-racism is the opposite. It's, it's, it's just to divide us apart and make us think that, you know, there's, there's, we're human. Like that's, that's what we have in common. And they try to take that away by making nitpicking all these differences, gender and, you know, like the rainbow genders and, and, and all the different colors. And it's like, it's everyone's beautiful and they're different and they're and they're their own thing and it's just fine you know like remember i don't know in the 90s my mom had a shirt that says i'm colorblind or whatever and that was like a thing yeah it was like this and and that's not like you could not say that anymore that's like no yeah because then you have white privilege and you're bad if you're colorblind because then you don't see other people's points of view and i'm like whoa 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 back it up that doesn't mean that at all no uh when i was growing up my favorite show was in living color which you're probably too young to remember but that's where like the wayans brothers got there all the wayans family was on this show okay and that's also where jim carrey got his start as a young comedian um and it was just like a sketch comedy show with predominantly black people and and black writers with hip-hop musicians that would be in the middle and like fly girl dancers which was where j-lo got her start actually okay as a fly girl on the show and that was my favorite absolute favorite show my favorite band was arrested development and like diggable planets like i was such a black guy when i was a kid like, <laughs> i totally wanted to be a black dude super hard like all the way into like being obsessed with tupac when i was like you know in sixth or seventh grade so is and- tupac still alive I don't know, man. I saw the autopsy. I shouldn't have looked, but I went on a rotten.com when I was young and saw the autopsy photos. I wasn't sure if it was him still. Um, that's, that's the whole thing. I don't think he is. I think they, they killed him because he was trying to promote um, black people being strong and, and, and confident and not this mis- They wanted rap that was like materialistic. It was gotcha. all about being rich and like getting hoes. And what Tupac was talking about was was totally different, even towards the end. And then his last album that came out right after he died was called Machiavelli, which was interesting too. Um, Illuminati, I think, was the name of the album. I think you're it right. Was, it was really the lyrics in that. Now that I know what I know, I've gone. Back, well, actually, I didn't even have to go back. I've like memorized. So I just like <laughs> think about the songs, and I could like rap through it in my head. I was like, damn, like. He was, he was going through something there and, and it, it wasn't going well, you know, like yeah. they took him out. Yeah. Maybe Biggie's still alive. He's fat on some Island, like eating, eating cheeseburgers and hanging out. Listen, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I can't, I can't comment on that one. I, yeah, love I know it. a lot of people think he's still alive and Elvis is still alive and all that stuff, but I'm, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. 
Yeah, I'm not sure. And then I've heard things like Avril Lavigne got like taken out and then cloned, and Britney Spears like. There's so many different conspiracies now. I just saw one like that that was so awesome, like breathtaking. Like when I saw these side by sides, um, it was the O.J. Simpson trial, right? Mm-hmm. He had killed his wife Nicole Brown Simpson. Yes. And Nicole Simpson is Megan Kelly from Fox News. And when you see their pictures next to each other, it's like, holy shit, that could be the same person. And they they even had like pictures of her hands. Um, Yeah. Like side by side with tracing the veins and the veins were like the same in the same position. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, then then um, the I can't remember the name. Ron Goldman, was it? That was the who she was with, and he was also murdered. It was like her boyfriend or whatever. Uh huh. Um, was is Cato Kalin, which is someone who actually testified during the trial as a witness. And they're saying that the guy who was supposed to have been killed, you know, got a nose job and uh, a wig on, and was now this other dude who was testifying. And they do, they look a lot alike, but it's not as convincing as the Nicole Brown Simpson and, and Megan Kelly thing. So. that's wild i have not seen that side by side but like at this point i know there's like certain actors that like if you line them all up together you can't tell who's who right right and there's also like things like crisis actors like they're they're interviewed by the news after a traumatic event has happened as a witness and then you'll see that same person like in other news that's that stuff's really interesting to me yeah that stuff is very interesting i'm afraid to say some of those places but y'all can go look that up because i don't want to get this show taken down (laughs) the whole whole, uh uh trial of that that one guy that has a a radio show that people listen to yeah with um (laughs) it's a town in connecticut with two names (laughs) Yeah, um, it's like a beach is, yep, and then um, you, a pirate uh, has a captain. There we there go. go. There we go. <laughs> yeah, you don't know. Like you know, I think that's the one thing I've learned through like digging into conspiracy stuff is just like you you can't you can't pretend you know stuff. Just like be okay with this. Like you just don't know. Like and speculate and have fun imagining different things and but don't let yourself get worried about stuff that's not right in front of you that's absolutely that's where they take the power from you yeah i mean i know people that somehow still believe in like cute and like are convinced that it's real and it's like their religion yeah yeah, and i'm like it just how many things can be proven wrong or that you know they predict a date and the date doesn't happen or come before you like start to realize but it it goes back to that whole bubble of belief it doesn't really matter what side of the political spectrum you fall on because everyone can have that bubble of belief and if you're not okay with the unknowns you're you're going to seek answers somewhere yeah i know i mean everybody's heard the term confirmation bias it's like yep. you just look for the things that support your theory and you, you know, dismiss the things that don't. And um, I try to be really aware of that when I get passionate about something like, say, diet and ancestral way of eating. Like, I'm trying to still be opened to, you know, it was kind of hard for me to accept the idea that sourdough might be a good idea because I had it in my head that grain was bad. Grain was bad. Yep. And then the more I learned about how, like, well, the way you prepare the grain is really important. You know, soaking, sprouting, or fermenting is super important for grain for it to be digestible. And like learning that new information, I, that was really useful. And now like we have bread that we can eat. Um, 
if I would have just said that that didn't work, I could have found a lot of reasons why to prove my that I was right that uh, grain was bad. And uh, it's it's interesting how people do that with a lot of different things. We were showing my stepdaughter how you can find anything on the internet, and I just typed in the phrase "sleeping with your dog in bed is good," mm-hmm. and we got articles to support that. And then we got I, I added the word "not," so sleeping with your dog in bed with you is not good. Mm-hmm. And we got a ton of articles to support that. And so I looked at her and I said, so who's right? Because we had articles, you know, supporting both. And they were, quote, unquote, science and, like, all this other stuff, right? And that was really eye-opening for her of all I did was add a word or delete a word. And I can have information Anything supporting both. Yeah. Right. And so that's why it's always just like, yeah, this is my opinion now. And this, the inform with the information I have in my filters, this is what the conclusion I've come to at this time. And that's why, I don't know what people like trust the science is it's yeah, you have to trust it. It's, it's gotta be a blind faith thing. It's like a religion because you can't, they can't show their work. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that are still in question and they want to ignore those things. And that kind of is, that's how we got to the mess that we're in now with the recommendations for diet and, and, and a healthy life and medications that are given to people. Um, it's, it's, it's a broken system and it comes from that, those studies where people are certain and they push it and then it's promoted and then it's fact. And then backtracking from that is extremely difficult. You can only add more to it. You can never take it away. You can say, well, cholesterol does cause heart disease, but yeah, egg yolks are okay again because studies show that egg yolks don't blah, blah, blah. It's like, it was never, that was never right in the first place, but they can right. never say that. They can never say that. Well, and so I used to be in science and I used to think that the FDA and CDC could do no wrong and um, anyone who questioned them was a crazy conspiracy theorist and all of the things and I thankfully got to a point that I was willing to have my bubble belief bursted and you know and I learned new information and that was very eye-opening um but when these studies are done this is what a lot of people don't understand about scientific papers is some of the like so let's say you have paper z okay and that's published today they will have the original paper that they're going to be referencing is like from the 1960s right and they still see it as valid but no one's ever bothered to go back to that 1960s paper and see if they made a mistake or if they can yeah, replicate those experiments, they just it's... take it as gospel and go, that must be true. And then everything is built on that. So, yeah, if that's your foundation is something that you can't even prove is real, then everything that comes after that is not is not valid. And right. if you think that, that if we go back far enough, then what, are they basing it on studies like, well, yeah, if you throw these two, this witch into the water, if she sinks... Then she's a good Christian woman, and if she rises up and casts a spell on us, then she's a witch. You know, if if that's is that where we're starting our science? Is that the foundation we're building off from? Well, and there was just probably two, three months ago, they came out and basically said all the research that's been done on Alzheimer's is wrong because one of the foundational papers 
is wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's really interesting too, because that all ties into metabolic syndrome and insulin resistance. Cause there's a lot of information that is out there that, that shows that when you eat that poor diet, that builds those plaques up and mm-hmm. it's, it's a side effect of things like even if you're not fat and you're just eating that diet, there's these other things like cancer and and liver disease and kidney problems and Alzheimer's and that, it's horrible. And they benefit a lot from all these different things and like medications that they say help that don't actually help. Just like statins that don't actually even help lower the cholesterol. If you take a statin, it shows that you it actually shows you might have a more be more likely to have a, a cardiac event. And um, it's never been proven that they're helpful at all. And doctors even kind of know that, but they still say, but it's recommended to take a statin. So everybody's on them. Yeah. One of my, uh, so we have a dog, we've had her for a year. And one thing that um, we wanted to feed her the right way. So we started feeding her raw pretty early on, like within the first month or so. But one thing that I found interesting is I'm sh- I don't know if you have dogs, but a lot of have you heard the myth that if your dog doesn't eat grains, it's going to get dilated cardiomyopathy and die? No, but the grain is not in a normal dog's diet. It's not it's not that's so many of the problems that canines have seem to come from a grain diet in their diet. So I work um sometimes at this natural pet food store and people will come in and be like, and like terrified. My vet said that I have to, I have to feed my dog grains or they're going to get a heart attack and die. And literally the whole, this whole thing started because in 2018, the FDA got 25 reports um, of dilated cardiomyopathy. Seven of those came from one vet And it later found out that she received research funding and given, like, gave sponsored lectures and things from some of the pet food companies that would benefit from this, like Hills Pet Nutrition, Nestle Purina, um, Royal Canin, all those things. And yeah, like, that's so that's it. That's it. Yeah. That's what happened in the first place with, with fats. There was all these studies done that said that these vegetable oils, margarine, whatever, was better um, than natural fats. And it's like all of that research was done by the companies that were making the synthetic fats. Mm-hmm. It's like, obviously, they're going to say that it's our stuff's better. I mean, you can't... There's there's no such thing as like a fair study anymore because of where funding comes from. Well, and here's the thing. You're supposed to declare a conflict of interest in a scientific paper, but if you don't, nothing happens and companies, pharma companies, pet food companies, all these companies will pay Dr. Joe Smith. They will dog food company. A will write the paper, say, Hey, Dr. Joe Smith, uh, we'll give you X amount of dollars if we can put your name on this and you quote unquote publish it. Will you do it? And they're going to say, yeah. Yeah, I need to make some money. Sure. It's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's crazy. It's maddening to think like and that. And that's how these things are published. And they've gone through in some of these papers with these quote unquote doctors. They're not even real people. Yeah. Whoa. I hadn't even really thought about that. It's just like, an, yeah, 
name who's looking into that anyway really you're just waiting for your morning news to tell you hey did you know that this is good for you and your dog's gonna die of a heart attack if you don't give him grain have a nice day yeah everybody's just like oh no i need to do that thing and it's also on the front of people magazine or whatever and then it's just that's law (laughs) it's like yeah people don't even look into where the information comes from or question it themselves at all i mean the majority of people just don't bother looking into it at all it's crazy one thing so i always thought garlic was really bad for dogs and toxic for dogs i have heard uh, that too garlic and onions yeah yeah fun fact both of those things are false really? and feeding garlic to your dogs is actually good for them and that can actually fleas? It, yeah it can actually prevent make their skin smelly so they don't yeah. get fleas and ticks so i was like i feel like this should help with fleas I kept thinking that and I'm like, but they say it's poisonous and I've never gotten back to like dig into that at all. I'm glad you said that because I was just thinking about that the other day because we've been feeding, you know, a high end grain fed kibble to our dog for a while. Grain free, sorry, grain. free. <laughs> yeah, just all grain, just wheat berries. No, um, grain free, but it's still she's ha- starting to have itchy skin. And I went to the vet and it was one of the worst. Ex- it was I felt like I went to the freaking doctors. It was the worst experience I've had. We had an old vet. He was an old dude. He was cool. 2020 happened. We stopped going all together. I went back. It's all new people, uh, new like vet techs. The lady's wearing a mask and she's just immediately launched in. Is is she taking a heartworm preventative medication? Um, This needs to be taken regularly to prevent from getting heartworms. And it was like, but you need this test first. You need that. Is she up on her vaccines? Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like she's itchy. Like, what should we do for, what are you recommending these days for flea control? It's been a while since I've checked in with a conventional wisdom. And she couldn't stop trying to sell me other things and um, really telling me that I needed to get her fixed. And she's a purebred lab and she's only three. Like, I'm keeping her options open. You know, she, she could have puppies if she wanted. Well, have you had her tested for hip dysplasia? And like, all these, it was just like so overwhelming. And I was trying to just hold my composure. But she, you know, did not even ask me once about what she ate or recommend anything to do with food at all. And I'm like, you know, we need to dig into this now and like just stop feeding the kibble. And I'm so I'm, when I'm making bone broth, she's getting this the spent chicken bones that are like um, you can't feed them chicken bones because they're going to splinter. But if they're really well cooked or if they're raw, they don't splinter. Right. So like uh, eggs and um, and organ meats and raw chicken feet and that kind of stuff. That's where we're going now. But I was that's what was leading me to think like garlic. I was wondering if that. Would yeah. Be okay. Yeah. Garlic, onions. Totally OK. Um, and. Yeah, if, if you ever go to the back to the vet, don't tell them that you feed raw because they will freak out and be convinced that your dog and you are going to get salmonella and die. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, too, if they, if they ever do get fleas, because I've had to do this for my dog, um, basically sl- cord them off in an area like tile or wood that you don't mind your floor getting dirty for a minute for like two three hours and coat them in coconut oil head to toe oh wow! it will like suffocate them it'll suffocate the fleas yeah. it'll suffocate the eggs and kill the fleas and it kittens like it's safe for everyone they might end up oh, having sh- diarrhea coconuts aren't even real what a- <laughs> i know <laughs> listen <laughs> listen <laughs> pretend coconuts are real for okay, a second we're going with coconuts are real yeah, coconuts are real for a second lick it, so they're gonna get they're gonna get yeah so they're gonna get they might get a little bit of diarrhea but it's not poisonous to them what does it yeah. do for eggs, though? It literally suffocates them. 
because okay, no yeah. air can get through. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It suffocates yeah. the eggs and kills the fleas. And then give them a really good bath. Um, I was moving from Michigan to Connecticut, and both the dog and the cat got fleas. And the cat was too small for any conventional, like, flea treatment. Mm -hmm. So that's how I came across this. Um, Had to do it to the cat once, the dog twice, and it, like, maybe, like, over a period of four days, like, I did it on a Monday and then on a Thursday or something. Uh Um, And we would just regularly brush him with the flea comb to make sure there was nothing there. Oh, that's amazing. And then their skin's all soft and then their um skin is like hydrated and their yeah is like shiny yeah it's it was great nice. yeah it's uh it would be really slippery though my she would hate that and she'd be trying to get away <laughs> it sounds like my kid would love to watch it <laughs> yeah we had to cord them off in like the laundry room um and we put we put cat in the bathroom and the dog in the laundry room and they had to stay there for like a good two three hours because you have to give it time for that coconut oil to, to suffocate set. everything uh, yeah. um but it worked diatomaceous earth is is good for fleas as well yes familiar with that yes we sprinkled that um all over the carpets and stuff yeah so that's good for an area where um you can't uh you you know not it doesn't do anything for eggs but it does for any flea it's it's interesting because the particles of this powder are super sharp but they're so tiny that um but they're harmful to fleas they'll it'll like cut them and then dehydrate them fun fact if you get um, food-grade diatomaceous earth, you can put a little bit in your food and your pet's food, and it's a natural antiparasitic. Yeah, that, that's pretty interesting. That's what we buy, too, and we use it in a chicken coop as well. Yes. Yeah. Good stuff from nature, but they don't tell you that at the vet's office. No. Gosh, I was like, I just was so mad. I was like, stop touching my dog with your mask on, saying all the weird stuff about medicine she's gonna die and then she like pointed at some poster and it was like look there's two cities in washington state which is where we live that have now have really high rates of um heartworms heartworms and i was like oh and i like immediately my eyes go to the bottom of the poster it's like you know heartworm association blah 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 this medication like yeah that's look who made that poster the person who wants to sell me this new medicine that you're talking about like are you (laughs) dumb like they are they are dumb that's so that's what it is so because i was i used to be that person because Mm -hmm. i used to think that if you didn't take the pokey pokes you were crazy anti pokey poke and like uh, i used to think that i was that person um because i couldn't see any evidence that was presented in front of me that wasn't given to me by quote-unquote conventional medicine you could have given me papers and i know that there's papers out there now that show how dangerous these things can be but if you would have showed them to me i would have basically denied it confirmation bias i would just no no that that's you're you're wrong that that person's wrong you could have given me 200 nope they're all wrong yeah and and if you say you only take these official sources and there's someone there that's controlling who the official sources are exactly it's like i mean yeah i mean that's how we're, we are and it's like i said they're dumb and i want to say the r word which i try not to say too often just kidding i say it all the time um the it's it's the they're not you know people are human beings and they try their best and just not everybody's like us where they can just look at these things it's it can be really an uncomfortable feeling for people to feel like they don't know what 
the truth is. And for me, it's just been really freeing. Like I feel happier than I ever have knowing that I don't know shit. <laughs> it's yes. like, it's the yeah. best feeling. And to know that I'm just doing the best and I'm moving forward the best that I can. And I'm moving forward and learning all the time. And the world is a magical and amazing place. And there's so much we don't know. And just like letting that be, there's like a childlike whimsy about everything. It's great. I agree. I agree. Lanny, I want to thank you again for coming on and being patient with my schedule. Yeah. Um, I know you did at the beginning of the show, but could you please tell everyone again where they can find you? Oh, yeah, sure. So Greener Postures, that's not pastures, that's postures. Greener, P-O-S-T-U-R-E-S at, uh, let's see, Instagram and Twitter. Greenerpostures.com is the website where you can find information about my workshops and the podcast that we do where you'll find the world as it is today. You can actually listen on the website or um, have the RSS feed from there. Um, I'm also involved in another podcast with a good group of people called Feed the Beauty. That's with um, uh, the Buffalo and Lakes from False Reality Check, uh, Adam from Deborah Gets Red Pilled, Chud and I, as well as Moral Bob from the Hidden in Plain Sight podcast, and his wife Kaylee, which is that retro homeschool on Instagram. Um, we do that. We're trying to do once a, twice a month. We were doing once a month. So we've got six or seven episodes there. You can also find that on the Greener Postures website. And then um, the next workshop coming up October 16th, that's going to be live on Zoom. And you get uh, a book that I've written that goes along with it, as well as access to the exclusive Telegram chat for Greener Posture workshops. So you can stay in touch as you're learning your new skill. Um, and then any of my workshops, uh, fermented uh, beverages, fermented condiments, and fermentation for food preservation are all available um, for purchase for playback for those previous live showings. And you get the booklet and the uh, Telegram channel access as well. So if you want to dig into fermentation, I don't have any live workshops scheduled now, uh, but you can purchase the playback. And then I'm always willing to do one-on-one -on -one stuff if you reach out to me if there's something that you want to dig into. I love all of that. I love all of that. Uh, thank you, Lanny, again for joining me, and I hope everyone has a wonderful, wonderful night.